This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. It's important that I make some preliminary comments tonight. First, what we're going to be studying together could become academic, and I'm going to work hard to make sure that that doesn't happen. The material that we'll be studying together is biblical truth, and all scripture is profitable. And so uh, there's going to be detail, but please don't check out. Ask the Lord to help you uh, mentally to stay alert. I'll try to do my best to help you get all of the blanks filled in. Another thing that we need to remember You'll see at the top of the one handout the basis for biblical counseling. And any time I, I use the word counseling, I'm asking that you think of a synonymous term, discipleship. We took time to talk about discipleship this morning. We're to teach disciples everything that the Lord has commanded. But what you're going to see as we work through these handouts and these various subjects, we're going to be giving you biblical truth. And that biblical truth simply illustrates the fact that God has indeed given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We live in a world that has compartmentalized things to the detriment of human beings. For example, the world wants us to think that if you've got a medical problem, well, you go and see a doctor. Well, that's, that's not a problem if what you're going to see the doctor about is actually physiological. But they also want you to think, well, if you've got a spiritual problem, go see these professionals. Okay, it's okay to go see your pastor or, or whoever, but, but that's for spiritual problems. If you have a mental or emotional problem, we'll go see these professionals, psychiatrists, psychotherapists. What they're denying is the fact that God made us fearfully and wonderfully to be spiritual, physical, mental, emotional creatures, and all those things work together. And the first place we need to go for help is to God. And even Christians who don't feel just right or who feel down, they'll run to somebody who will give them a bottle of pills instead of turning to Christ. We've got to remember that there was a day on this planet where there was not a Walgreens. Right? Right? In fact, the early church didn't have psychiatry, didn't have pills. They had the Lord. And so many of the things, we've been influenced by society, by these philosophies. And so we need our eyes open to realize our Lord is sufficient. Now, later in this series, we're going to talk about how 
we can be helped by some of the things that I've just mentioned. Believe it or not, we can be helped. Psychology hasn't solved a single spiritual problem. What it has done is taught us some things about the mind and how it functions, the physical brain, and that is helpful. But again, I want to draw our hearts to the source of our help, and that is to the Lord himself. And so what is the basis for biblical counseling, discipleship? Well, the basis is what God teaches us in his word. And so I hope you have a pen. If you don't, ask somebody near you. Uh, if you're watching on the live stream, we can get these notes to you. We can email them to you. Uh, and you can go back, watch this, uh, this service tonight, fill in some blanks. And, and, of course, I would love interaction if you have question uh, or comment. We're in Romans chapter 12. Notice verse 1. We could quote it together. We won't tonight. But Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's what the scripture is teaching us to present yourself a living sacrifice to the Lord that pleases him in every way, that's acceptable, holy. It's our reasonable service, but in order to do that, the issue is your mind. Through tonight's message, we're going to look at different passages that, again, redirect our thinking to our minds. Let me give you a simple formula, but this is the way the Scripture says that God made us to work. It's this simple. Right thinking leads to right actions that bring about good feelings. Let me say that again. Right thinking leads to right actions, which bring about good feelings. What does the scripture say? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thinking, action, feelings. Now what Satan does is he takes what God has created and he distorts it and tries to change it. So here's the way society thinks. If we can help somebody feel good, if we can give them some uppers, then, when they feel good, they'll think right and do right. That is not the way it works. In fact, if you go back and study through Scripture and what the Lord talks about regarding you having his peace, do you know what he teaches us? Think right. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, right? You need to think right about that anxiety, those fears. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You want peace? Turn to God. And, oh, by the way, Philippians 4, 8, and whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure, and, and he gives us that list. He's really given us a box, only think these things. 
Because if you think outside of that, your thoughts are going to trouble you. What thoughts? Well, what if this is going to happen? What if this is true? And the what ifs of life, the uncertainties of life, can bring great turmoil and fear to your heart. All right, so the renewed mind. Look at your handout. The solution to a life that pleases God is a renewed mind. You'll see a footnote there. This is from W.E. Vine. Renewing the mind is not, is not done by the natural processes of memory, judgment, perception, or meditation. Instead, it's the result of yielding the mind completely to God so that the Holy Spirit directs its focus to God and his will. The renewed mind. Paul will speak to the Corinthians and he'll describe it this way, cast down imaginations, that's empty reasoning, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know that your mind is a control tower? If you're flying out of an airport, you don't want there to be any confusion in the control tower, Right? If you're flying into the airport, you want to make sure there's no confusion. If there's confusion up there, there's trouble on the runways. Do you know if there's confusion, if there's sin, if there are things that don't please the Lord in your control tower, it's going to create a mess here. So cast down those imaginations, everything that exalts itself against what you know to be true of God and bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Jim Berg says it this way, we're always very aware of our feelings. And that's not positive. Instead, we should always be aware of our thoughts. Okay, I feel this way, but what am I thinking to cause that? I'm being tempted this way. What am I thinking about that temptation and is that thought in obedience to Christ if it's not cast it aside go to God's word and begin thinking his truth we need renewed minds also if we let the world define the problem we cannot go to scripture for accurate solutions Paul will warn against philosophies that are not based in truth Christians in some, in some areas are allowing the world to define the problem. We need to let God define the problem so that then we can come to right solutions. Number two, the solution to a life that knows the will of God is submission. So number one, a life that pleases God is a life that has a renewed mind. Number two, the solution to a life that knows the will of God is submission to or submission of the mind of man to the mind of God through Bible study. Now, for sake of time, I'm just going to read these passages. If you want to try to look them up, I think they're going to be on the screen for you as well. But we need to submit our minds to the mind of God, and we do that through Bible study. 2 Corinthians 10, 
5. I've quoted it, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of my goals in this series is for us to be able to bring up a subject and for your mind to immediately go to God's answer. To go to God's answer. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, the renewed mind. Now the basis for discipleship and counseling is not the impact of one's environment. If you study psychology... They'll put a lot of emphasis on the fact that we, or they say the fact that we are just a product of our environment. Now here's the problem with that. They think if we can just change the environment, we'll change the person. Is that true? No. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. They had to decide to trust God and think what he said. When they decided they knew better than God, the perfect environment didn't help anything. All right, so the impact of one's environment. Does environment affect us? Yes. We need to avoid those things that can tempt us to sin. We don't make any provision for the flesh to obey it in the lust thereof. But don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, if we could just have a society where everything in the environment was right, well, people would be different. People won't be different until their hearts are transformed by Jesus Christ. They need the gospel. The basis for counseling is not the conflict between a person's id, ID, you can just put that there, and superego. Again, I'm not trying to be technical, but... The it is someone's drive, okay? Psychology teaches us that there's a conflict between uh, what drives a person and the superego is what's in their environment or the forces in the environment that try to do them, persuade them to do uh, certain things. So for instance... Freud taught that the problem with people is that they are driven to please themselves and if they were allowed to just please themselves, things would be better. But the conflict be is there because the super uh, ego, for instance, their parents have created these artificial standards and because of that conflict, uh, people are bad. It's the whole idea uh, that because you have a rule not to get in the cookie jar, kids get in the cookie jar. Well, if you just remove the rule, they probably wouldn't get in the cookie jar. Huh, really? All right. Again, this doesn't make any sense when you try to understand what the world thinks the problem is and their solutions to it. So a person's drive when that is unjustly restrained by some aspect of society, parents, church, government laws, because of that conflict, people are bad. 
No, no. That's placing blame other places. People are bad because born, people are born sinners. Number three. The basis for counseling is not accepting or loving one's self more. I was counseling a woman one time in another ministry and she was struggling with some things. We were going to the word of God and for a while we were seeing God do some things in her life but, but she continued to go back to the way she used to think and, and then she disappeared from church. She just stopped coming so I went by to see her and she was telling me about this new found freedom she had. She had been to a therapist and the therapist had discovered the answer. The therapist told her she needed to love herself more. Do you see anywhere in your Bible where God says, love yourself more? No. I see where he says, love me more. I see where he said, through John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. So I, I see those statements. But you know what people's problem is based in? We love ourselves too much. We love ourselves too much. But there are those that think, well, that's the answer. You need to love yourself more. And so tonight, we want to combat these and other philosophies that are out there, things that, that easily can come into our minds and affect the way we live. I don't know if we'll be able to get through everything tonight, so uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. Go to a store, uh, buy a three... Each that uh, these are three-hole punch, and just keep clipping these uh, into that that notebook, and bring it with you on Sunday nights, and we'll be returning to it and and continuing the study. So I see in uh, this matter of discipleship counseling five tenets that form the basis of biblical discipleship or counseling. Again, these things are not all original with me. I want to give material credit. Uh, Dr. William Goode really was one of the early uh, preachers who espoused uh, what we call today as neuthetic counseling. Neutheo is a New Testament word which means to confront with truth. He believed that if we could help people by taking the word of God and letting the scripture confront the problem, they would get help. And of course, you recognize the name Jay Adams. There have been others that God has used to help us in this day when psychotherapy is, is just accepted by so many. So the first tenet that we want to look at is this. Roman numeral one, all counseling, discipleship is... God-centered. God-centered. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 1. I'll go back a few chapters. And as you're turning there, let me ask you to also take out uh, the one other handout that we have given to you. I've added some graphics to some things that Jim Berg has taught. 
in his material, quieting a noisy soul. He calls it the way down. Romans 1.21 says this, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now what's assumed in the text is the fact that all of us know there's a God. Do you know that an atheist is a dishonest person? We know there's a God. Romans 1, the heavens declare it. By the things that are made, we can see his eternal power and Godhead, and so God says we're without excuse. Romans chapter 2, not only do we have the witness of creation, we have the witness, chapter 2, of conscience. God, because we're made in his image, has written basic law in the heart of man. We know there's a God. But when we don't exalt him as God, give him his rightful place. Somebody has said that God made us to have a God-shaped hole in our heart. When we allow God to reign there, things are right. We're satisfied. We were made to fellowship with God. When we take God and we set him aside, that God-shaped hole becomes a vacuum, a void, that all the pleasures, all the wealth, all the stuff of the world, you can fill it with all that and you'll never be satisfied. Again, Berg calls this the great disorder of the heart. What's it start with? Unbelief. Unbelief. Remember what Satan did in the Garden of Eden as he spoke to Eve. Hath God said? The best part of the garden was not the perfect garden. It was the afternoons where the Lord would come and fellowship with Adam and Eve. That was the best part of their existence. Primarily, that's why they were created. There was a day when God came to fellowship and Adam and Eve were hiding. What had happened? Because of unbelief, they fell into sin. Again, it's, Berg refers to it as a great disorder of the heart. The lie of unbelief. God is not doing enough for me. God himself is not enough for me. I need something more. And so when I take God and I don't give him his rightful place, but I set him aside... I turn my back on him. What's going to happen? Remember that void I just mentioned? There's going to be discontent in the heart. How does the scripture define that? Neither were they thankful. Not thankful. This is a lust for more. It's the basis for every temptation in the heart. If only I had what I need. I should be or I should have more. I don't like the whole thing. Satan wants to convince us God isn't enough. He's not doing enough. He's not being everything I need. Discontent. And when we put God aside and there's that emptiness, if we don't turn back to the Lord, there are going to be two responses. Those are on the graph here. On the one side, there's anxiety, fear. The emotion of uncertainty. What if I don't get what I need? People who have turned their back on God, they're fearful people. Or the other side, there's anger. The emotion of displeasure. I'm upset because I don't have what I need, what I want. 
Somebody says, I don't understand that person. They're, they're angry all the time. Well, that tells you about where they're at with God. Or somebody that, that lives in constant fear. A perfect love of the Lord casts out fear. What's that tell you? Uh, in their hearts, they are not yielded to the Lord. They're not fellowshipping with the Lord. At least anxiety or anger. And if in those situations we don't turn back to God, what's that lead to? When I try my way, I try to make it work, I try to be satisfied with what the world says is going to satisfy me, and it doesn't work, and so I pour in more alcohol, I pour in more drugs, I work more hours so I can have more money, and it just frustrates me. It's not satisfying me. I'm angry. I'm fearful. Where's that lead? Despair? Depression? Pastor Radice shared last night in the devotional about a man that was well known uh, on one of the cable channels. He traveled and, and, and highlighted food around the world. The guy was worth millions, ended up taking his own life. Why? None of that can satisfy. And as he tried to do more, earn more money, have more pleasure, when my way doesn't work, and it doesn't work, if I don't turn back to God, I despair. I'm out of answers. It's the emotion of helplessness. I'll never get what I need. We could insert here the example of King Saul. Do you remember King Saul? Do you know there's an example of somebody in the Bible who is bipolar? Why these emotional swings? The scripture never points to that his chemical levels were off. Well, he'd stopped taking his medication. Now, now, please, I'm not trying to be unkind. Saul was bipolar. Eventually, it did affect him mentally, but where did it all start? He turned his back on God. He started out fellowshipping with God. The things of God were important, but he did not want to elevate God to that place in his heart. He pushed him aside, and in his case, he became fearful and angry. And these radical emotional swings where twice he tried to kill David, once he tried to kill his own son. Erratic behavior unstable emotions, and you can take it all to his relationship with God. So let's go back to our handout now. All counseling must be God-centered. Letter B, God's worship is the answer. God's worship is the answer. Romans 11.36, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 1.16 and 17, for by him are all things created. Were all things created that are in heaven 
that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. You know that before any of this, before you and I, before this stuff, there was God. When all this ceases to exist, there's God. And then in Colossians, Paul reminds that church, and by him all things consist. All things are held together. They have their being. It is all about God. So ask yourself, that person who's struggling, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to disciple them, counsel them. Here's the, here's the question to ask. Where have they put God? I've sat in my office and, and, and they come in and one of the first things they ask, what is the problem as you see it? And they're, they're loaded and ready. And they'll go on and on and on and on and on and, and, and okay, and I ask questions and I, I really what I want to hear is how they're thinking about things. And there have been times that I've stopped them after a half hour and I'll say this, you know, I'm so sorry. I know you're having a hard time. I'm concerned for you. But do you realize in the last half hour, sometimes I'll say, Christian, you didn't mention God one time. Yeah, we've got a problem. God's not even on the radar right now. And then I can follow up with this. So what are you thinking about God? We are not here for us. We are here for God. And by the way, you can tie a lot of scripture into when we seek him first in his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things are added unto us. God gives us the desires of our heart, but, but that's because he's also given us a new heart. And oh, by the way, the blessed man who is oh so happy, Psalm 1, he doesn't listen to the world's philosophies. Remember Psalm 1, 1? But in God's word, he delights day and night, and he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also does not wither, and whatsoever he does, what? Prospers. But the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives. Does that describe any of our society today? Wow. So God's worship is the answer. I note that in the book of Job, when Job stayed worshipful, it didn't matter what happened, he was stable. When he stopped worshiping, things got hard. Letter C, God's word is the authority. God's word is the authority. You and I are helped when we decide God's right. I don't have to see it. I just have to believe him. God's word is the authority. So all of our discipleship, all of our counseling needs to be God-centered. Again, I love the fact that when David was struggling, Saul was trying to kill him. Jonathan, as a good friend, comes alongside David. Jonathan does this at risk to his own life. And the Bible says he encouraged his friend in God. 
What a testimony. So that's the first tenet. Let's look at the second tenet tonight. Here's the second tenet. All guilt is taken seriously. All guilt is taken seriously. Now, if you go outside of these doors and you go around our building, you will see on the wall these things that are called fire alarms. When I pastored in Pennsylvania, somebody had the great idea, you know, we need more seating in the, in the foyer, in the church lobby, and so let's take a church pew out and let's put it against the wall, which is put against the wall. The only problem was against the back wall about halfway down there was a fire alarm. And parents would take their kids and they'd be visiting and they'd set their, their young person on that pew and he'd go down that pew and he'd look up and say, hey, red lever, I wonder what that does. We had an updated fire alarm system and so when that happened, it went directly to the fire station right up the street. When that happened, we knew it's time to exit because the cavalry's coming. The problem was we needed to move the pew. The problem wasn't the fire alarm system. Do you know how people today view guilt? That the guilt is the problem. We've got firefighters in this church. Imagine if the fire alarm goes off, fire truck pulls up, firefighters run in, and a short time later, the alarm goes off and they walk out and they're holding the mechanism for the fire alarm. There's wires dangling and they walk up and they say, problem solved. You'd say, okay, time out. Where's the fire? Well, that we don't worry about that. It's just these, these alarms are so annoying. You say, Pastor, that's silly, but that's the way people treat guilt. That the problem is the alarm. No, you need to find out where's the fire. Because God built in each of us a conscience, an alarm system that tells us when things aren't right with the one with whom we have to do. And so we take guilt seriously. Again, on the back side of that handout that we gave you, would you notice, please, these guilt strategies? You'll see at the top, psychology, behaviorism, third force. And then over on the right is the scripture. Underneath those first three, you'll see three names, Freud, Skinner, and Rogers. In biblical counseling, we like to call those guys the three stooges of psychotherapy. Say, well, that's unkind. They didn't know God, didn't care about God, denied what God said in his word. And so I'm not going to take time to review all of this. You'll see what Freud thought, for instance, about man, about the problem, what man's responsibility. But I want you to go down the page and notice what these guys thought about guilt. Freud taught that guilt is false, that it doesn't exist. Just ignore it. It's a nuisance. It's not really there. Skinner taught it's not important. As did Rogers. Not important. But what does the Bible say? It's real. It's the result of sin. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve listened to Satan 
They take a bite out of the forbidden fruit, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do next? They run and hide. That is the clearest example of what happens when innocency crosses the line into disobedience and unbelief against God. There was not a single threat still in the garden, and these two are hiding. In fact, they're, they're concerned because they're naked. Well, it's just the two of them, and they're married. What are they concerned about? It's what happens in the human heart that sins against God. It's called guilt. It's real. It's proof there's a conscience, there's an alarm system that God has placed there. And so down at the bottom of the page when it comes to guilt, Freud said, well, just shift the blame to somebody else. Skinner, change the standard. Okay, Lower the standard. Disregard moral standards. Rogers taught, help a man be comfortable with feelings and self. Positive self-image. You can be a scoundrel, but you just need to think positively about yourself. Well, that's helpful. What's the Bible say? Deal with sin and your response to sin and get right with God. Down below, the counselor then, you can see the different strategies. But a disciple someone who is really concerned about helping others in this life and be prepared for the next life, they give biblical counsel. That's our responsibility. Letter B, so what we've seen, Freud, Skinner, and Rogers diminished guilt. Letter C, God created guilt to be the noise in man's alarm system. And that blank next to it is this, the conscience. The conscience. So the counselee must understand from God's word to respond to guilt as David did and not as Saul did. Remember how Saul responded? He was in denial. Okay? Disobeyed God, came back, Samuel, I've obeyed the Lord. Samuel says, then why do I hear sheep? Oh, well, these people, they brought back the best to sacrifice to God. Samuel wasn't buying any of it. He wasn't about helping Saul feel good about himself. He said to obey is better than sacrifice. He was direct with him and then he said, God's taken the kingdom from you. David, on the other hand, when he was confronted by Nathan with his sin, what a different response. Psalm 51, 3 and 4, he said, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. He's speaking to the Lord and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And in Psalm 51, David identifies the problem. He said this, you desire truth on the inward parts. What David is saying is I lied to me. 
I believed a lie. I thought I could do this. I thought I could get away with it and just go on like everything was fine. But you desire truth on the inward parts. What is he talking about? David should have renewed his mind. That temptation is another man's wife. I shouldn't even be here. I should be out because this is a time when kings go forth to war. I'm in the wrong place. I need to run from this temptation. I need to think right thoughts to avoid sin. He didn't do it, fell into sin, but he responds correctly to his guilty conscience. Listen to some other passages that weigh in on this. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. A person's ignoring the conscience, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. David knew that mercy. Hebrews 9, 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now it's true, your conscience can be trained. Your conscience can bother you about things that you shouldn't be bothered about. The conscience can be trained, and if your conscience bothers you, don't go against the conscience. Get in the word of God and make sure that what the conscience is telling you agrees with with the Lord. And if it's okay to do that thing because God has not forbidden it, and I'm speaking to those of you that were raised in, in uh, other religions, maybe even cults where you were taught certain things. Uh, you, you don't do this. You, you know, uh, no meat on Fridays. Just fish. You, you can have a conscience and be bothered about things. Go to the word of God. What does God say? Train the conscience, but don't ever go against the conscience because if we think something is wrong and we're willing to move against the conscience, really what we're doing is we're willing to move against God. Don't do that. Let every man be fully persuaded in his or her own heart. So all guilt is taken seriously. Roman numeral three, and we'll be done tonight. Here's the third tenet. This is what those who understand biblical discipleship and counseling, here's what we hold to. Personal responsibility is placed on man. Would you agree with me that we live in a day where people are forsaking their own responsibilities? After COVID, <laughs> just stay home and we'll keep paying you. How's that helping anything? It's certainly not helping the national debt. But what did God say? Here's your responsibility. If someone doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. Now, we're not talking about those who are disabled and can't work. But if somebody can work and they stay home and they don't work, they shouldn't eat. It's not somebody else's responsibility to take care of you. God tells us, in uh, James chapter 1, that we're all to bear our own burden. Now, we're to bear others' burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Those are weights that crush. And sometimes people under those weights, and as, even as a church, we come alongside and we help 
bear one another's burdens. But further down in James 1, he talks about every man shall bear his own burden. That's the idea of a backpack. Everyone has a responsibility before God to carry their own load. It's called human responsibility. So letter A, God doesn't excuse the thoughts that produce the actions that result in our feelings. Do you realize that your feelings are unpredictable? Instead, here's what God says. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9. Rejoice, O young man or young lady. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart. You know, God does want us to richly enjoy the things that he's given to us. Our flesh is tempted to cross those boundaries and do too much of things. So walk in the ways of thine own heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Responsibility. My God believes that if you sow your wild oats, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Listen to Romans 14, 10 and 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We have responsibilities. Parents, if you do everything for your kids and you don't help them take responsibility, you're not helping your kids. As we're discipling folks, there are, again, there are things where they, they are just, they cannot help in this area. But if we do everything for a young Christian, a new Christian, we're not helping them. They need to pray and see the Lord's provision. They need to be doing all they can as we also are led of the Lord uh, to be a blessing and a help. So God doesn't excuse the thoughts that are irresponsible. Letter B, God calls irresponsible behavior sin, not sickness. He calls it sin, not sickness. Listen to James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We'll talk about this later, but as Christians, we have to be careful not to let the world's definitions define things. The world loves to give labels. Again, please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. I had attention deficit disorder, and my dad fixed it. And that farm boy never had a single class in psychiatry. But today, well, my child won't listen, there must be a psychological problem. No, there's a sin problem. Every kid is unique. Every kid needs to be loved. We need to be patient with them. 
They don't need a prescription. They need God's prescription. Now, again, please don't misunderstand. Autism is real. There are other real issues. But we need to let God define the problem and we need to respond biblically to the problem and be patient. Every child is unique. Give them time before you give them a prescription. Let's let God define these issues. Now on purpose, some of the things we're going to say in this series are going to challenge us. It's going to challenge the way we think. I'll be honest, challenge the way we've been programmed to think about so many things. And by God's grace, we're going to try to bring balance to this, but, but I want to try to help us understand that our thinking needs to be thoroughly biblical if we're going to help ourselves. God's word is a light unto our path. His word is all we need. And then as we seek to try to help others. So we'll pick it up there next time. These are things that you can apply to your own life. These are things that you can share to encourage others in their sanctification, their walk with the Lord. Go to the word of God. Pray together. Let God's word be the light for your path. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you tonight for the opportunity we've had to be in your word. I'm reminded of your admonition, let God be true and every man a liar. We live in an information age, but we don't live in a better age. Lord, if we'll turn our hearts to you, and know the sweet direction and your words of grace, what a difference it'll make in our lives. Father, help us to walk by faith, not by sight, and use us to encourage one another in the Lord. Thank you for the good attention of this church family. Would you use us this week as we go our ways? Some will be traveling, protect them. Lord, help us to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask of the hope that is in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.